and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. And as usual, I want to say hello to our friends listening by way of Spotify and Anchor FM. It's always glad to have you tuned in. And my name is Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And like I say, I'm just tickled to death to have you tuned in on today's broadcast. And this is a very special broadcast, as you know, uh, here in the United States and throughout much of the world. This is the Christmas season. It's the time of the year where we naturally, as Christians, uh, think about the birthday of Jesus Christ and how Christ was born there in Bethlehem. And we can't help but think about Mary and Joseph. Well, guess what? We have a very special guest in our Sunshine USA radio studio today. Uh, His name is Joseph, and he's actually not in the studio yet. I expect him to be knocking at the door any minute. But Joseph is going to be visiting with us. He's going to be telling us a little bit about himself. He's going to talk about the kind of upbringing he had and how he was a devout believer in God, as was his family. And uh, also he's going to share with us about some reservations he had about Mary when he found out that she was pregnant. I mean, you have to admit, you know, (laughs) that put Joseph in a very big predicament. You know, either people were thinking about, you know, the fact that he was doing something that he and Mary shouldn't have been doing yet, or that Mary was very unfaithful to him before they could get married. And either way, it's not surprising that he was thinking about putting her away until an angel of the Lord intervened and let Joseph know that he should not hesitate to take Mary to be his husband. Uh, I mean, his wife. (laughs) Pardon me, his wife. And uh, so it's very interesting. And we're going to learn a lot about Joseph today. You know, it's interesting to note that Joseph was probably several years older than Mary. Now, that was not terribly unusual back in those days, but, you know, we might look upon that as a little bit interesting today in our society. Uh, The fact that Joseph might have been up to several years older than Mary. Mary, by the way, was probably a young teenager. And could have been as young as 13 or 14 years old, according to some Bible scholars. And this may furthermore help explain why Joseph more than likely died at an early age compared to Mary. Uh, For example, we find that Joseph, after Jesus has that temple experience when Jesus was 12 years old, after that we don't read any more about Joseph. So the thinking of many Bible scholars is, and I agree with this, is that Joseph probably died when Jesus was a teenager. Jesus was probably no more than, say, 13, 14 years old when Joseph died. And under Jewish law, and bear in mind, even though this is the New Testament, under Jewish law, which they were still under at the time, it would have been Jesus' obligation to financially take care of his mother. And this would explain why from about age 12 or 13 all the way to age 30, 
Jesus worked as a carpenter in his earthly father's uh, uh, carpenter shop. In fact, if you want to be honest about it, Jesus worked more years as a carpenter than he did as a Bible teacher. A lot of people would be very surprised to realize that. I mean, the way I see it, um, starting at age 12, going all the way to age 30, um, he might have worked maybe 17 years as a carpenter. And then that was followed by only three years of public ministry before he was crucified on the cross. You know, so you can actually find some support there for the idea of bivocational ministry. Because Jesus was more than just a Bible teacher or preacher of the gospel. <laughs> uh, Jesus was a carpenter. He knew what a hard day's work was all about. He knew what life on a construction site was all about. Amen. He knew what it was to do hard, manual, physical labor for a living. So we find a lot of support for bivocational ministry there. Just like Paul. You know, Paul by trade was a tent maker. And uh, there's evidence to support the fact that Paul continued from time to time as a tent maker, even after he went into the ministry. Sometimes Paul was in a situation where he wasn't getting as much support as he needed from uh, the different places where he preached, and so he supported himself by making and selling tents. And so, once again, that's another idea supporting bivocational ministry. I know ministers to this day that work full-time as school teachers or out west they might work in a logging plant somewhere full-time and then on Sundays they preach the gospel they're a pastor or an evangelist and that's what they do on the weekends so we find some support in the Christmas story for the idea of being bivocational and sometime in the new year I'm going to do uh, really and truly, one or two messages on the subject of bivocational ministry. Because there are a lot of churches today that have bivocational pastors, and that's the only reason they're able to survive. Because a lot of those are churches which cannot support a pastor all the way financially, and the pastor has to subsidize that, usually by, um, you know, doing secular jobs on the side. I I remember there was, uh, I was going through a Christian bookstore one time and there was a book on the subject of bivocational ministry and it was titled, Our Pastor Drives a Cab. <laughs> and it was a revolutionary thought at the time. Now, you know, here in the southeastern United States, where I'm from, uh, the normal route is for a guy to go into the ministry and he's in the ministry full time. But there is a lot of other ministers that are what some people would call a part-time minister, even though, personally, I don't believe there is any such thing as a part-time minister. I mean, if God's called you to preach the gospel, I mean, it's a full-time responsibility, even though 
you may have to do a secular job on the side in order to support yourself while you're doing that ministry. But, you know, that's a story for another day. But I'm looking out the window right now and I can see, <laughs> speaking of taxi cabs, a, a cab is driving up. And it looks like a biblical character is getting out of that cab. It's probably Joseph. And he's getting ready to knock on my front door. And I'll invite him in. And hopefully we'll have an interesting uh, conversation with this guy named Joseph. In fact, here he comes up to the porch now. <laughs> ah, come on in. <laughs> How you doing, Joseph? Come on in. Good to see you, old buddy. Well, all right. Oh, good to see you. And you have a seat right there. I have to admit, you sound a little bit different than I somehow imagined that you would sound. Well, that's understandable. You know, a lot of people don't realize it, but, uh, you know, me and Mary were not the same in terms of age. I mean, I... <laughs> Uh, became interested in Mary back when she was, uh, well, a real young thing. She was about 13 years old, and I was an older man, and, well, uh, well, <laughs> we eventually got together, but it wasn't an easy ride, <laughs> because after we started uh, our engagement, Mary comes up pregnant, and I bet that was a surprise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was brought up in a religious Hebrew home. And I, I can tell you that uh, I was very much surprised. It looked to me like uh, Mary had been unfaithful to me. And, of course, my uh, family, they were religious, devout people. And you know what? <laughs> they put a lot of pressure on me to get rid of Mary. They said, Joseph, old boy, you're better off without that woman. She's obviously unfaithful to you. And so I was thinking about putting her away. I mean, I could have had her stoned under the law of Moses, but the law of Moses also gave me the opportunity simply write her out a decree of divorce and she would have no other choice but to leave. That would be the quiet approach. And I didn't want to make a public spectacle out of her because I still loved her, but obviously if she wasn't faithful to me, I couldn't trust her. And I was better off without her in my life. The family felt the same way. Then one night, I'm contemplating all these things in my mind. It's about two or three o'clock in the morning. And an angel of the Lord appeared unto me and persuaded me not to hesitate to take Mary to be my wife. He said, the child that she's bearing is of the Holy Ghost. So she hasn't been unfaithful to you, Joseph. You have no reason not to take her to be your lawfully wedded wife.
Well, I was devout enough to realize that was an angel from the Lord. And if the angel of the Lord was telling me to go ahead and marry Mary, then I had no hesitation to do so after that. And so in the process of time, we got married. And uh, we, of course, had to go to Bethlehem before the child was born. Mary was in the final weeks of her pregnancy. And this decree came out from Caesar Augustus. He came up with a neat new idea to tax the people. He called it a census. But man, I tell you, it was much more than a census. It was a tax. Well, you know, you know, Joseph, I, I tell you, <laughs> it's funny you should bring that up. Because here in the United States today, we still have politicians that love to think about new ways to impose taxes on us. Because they know that paying taxes is no more popular in our day than it was in your day. Well, all right, and that's all right. <laughs> but anyway, this ruling from Caesar Augustus required Mary and I, in spite of her condition, and in spite of how long and dangerous that journey would have been, we had to go to Bethlehem. And, of course, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but, you know, uh, that was a, fill, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It wasn't the Lord's will for Jesus to be born in Nazareth. It was the will of Jesus, I mean, the will of God, for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. That had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. So we ended up in Bethlehem. But boy, I tell you, it was a madhouse. Traffic was backed up like you wouldn't believe. I mean, we had donkeys everywhere. And people were looking for a place to stay, including, of course, Mary and me. We were looking for a place to play, uh, to, to stay, and we couldn't find a place. And then we came to the last inn where we visited. And once again, we were told, sorry, there's no room for you in the inn. Now, you know, a lot of people were, and they, they, they get upset at the innkeeper. But the innkeeper was simply a, a businessman like I was. I was a carpenter, self-employed carpenter. I had my own business, the innkeeper had his own business, and frankly, the, the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus, you know what, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, really and truly a blessing to that innkeeper, because now he had all the business he could handle and then some, and that's why it, there was no room for me and Mary in the end. But he was compassionate, much more so than the other innkeepers we encountered. You know why? Because he said, you know what? I've got this stable, this cattle barn, 
in the back of the property. Now, it's not the best of accommodations. I mean, when the baby's born and it looked like to the innkeeper, my baby was going to be born any day now. And he said you could lay that baby in a feeding trough. It would make a dandy crib. And you've got the animals you can count on to produce a little bit of heat. It's not the best accommodations, but I'm not going to charge you anything to stay there. So this innkeeper was a lot more compassionate than he had to be. They had similar cattle barns and some of the other inns where me and Mary went, but that was never made available to us. So we simply took advantage of the only accommodations available to us. And of course, Jesus was born lying in a manger in a cattle barn on that first Christmas. And it was such a blessing. And of course, after the circumcision, which came eight days later, and then there was another point where we had to leave the country for a while, go down into Egypt to avoid persecution. But when the Lord said it was all right to come back, we came back and we went to Nazareth, to the home that Mary and I had there. And that's where Jesus would grow up as a child. That's where he would spend his teenage years all the way up until he went into the ministry at age 30. Now, of course, Mary didn't know it then, but I wasn't going to live as long as she did. By the time Jesus was 13 or 14 years old, I died. And Jesus, under the Jewish law, he had to take on the responsibility of supporting Mary, his mother. And that's why he worked as a carpenter all the way up to age 30. By the time he was 30, he had saved up enough money, I understand, to financially take care of his mother for the rest of his life. And of course, he continued looking out for his mom on the cross when he invited perhaps his favorite disciple named John to take care of his mother. So there you have it. Now, you know, um, a lot of people wonder what kind of town was Nazareth. Well, Warren, I tell you, it was a small town. It was located right in the middle of nowhere. And uh, you actually had to want to go to Nazareth to go to Nazareth. It wasn't like one of these towns or cities that you pass through on the way to somewhere else. You had to make a deliberate, intentional trip to go to Nazareth. And it was located kind of like on a cliff. That's why when Jesus started his earthly ministry, the people of Nazareth, they rejected him. They were not godly people. They were pagan people. And they wanted to 
literally throw Jesus out of town. Literally, they would have thrown him over a cliff and he would have ended up in the valley of the ghetto. Where, of course, I know, Warren, you know that that's where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. But the interesting point here is Jesus was not received in Nazareth as well as he was received in other places. And as a result, Jesus chose not to do very many of his miracles there because the people simply wouldn't believe. It's kind of like Jesus being born in Bethlehem in a cattle barn. Jesus then went only where he was invited to go. And you know something, Warren, that's still true today. That's still true today. Jesus goes only where he's invited to go. Boy, I tell you, Joseph, that that is so interesting. And I know that our listeners here on Sunshine USA are going to find that story so intriguing, so interesting. And I certainly thank you to for taking your time to come by our studio today. And uh, I guess you're in a hurry to go yourself. Oh, yes. And I tell you, I don't know about this taxi cab thing. Uh, I think donkeys were a lot better to use as transportation than cabs are today. I mean, you have to wait so long for them and everything. Well, that's understandable. <laughs> But Joseph, we do appreciate you so much coming by our radio studios today and talking to us about that very first Christmas in Bethlehem. Well, all right. I am so glad that you invited me to be here. I'll uh, see you. Okay, let me walk you over here to the door. And you have a nice day, Joseph. All right. All right. Well, I tell you, that's uh, Joseph visiting us here in our Sunshine USA radio studio. And I am so glad that he took the time to come by our studio. I love doing broadcasts like this. Uh, Some people call it a dramatic monologue. And it gives me an opportunity to take a somewhat different approach from time to time to Bible study. But once again pretty much limiting ourselves to what the Bible tells us about Joseph and not trying to add anything to the scriptures or take anything away. It's just simply a different approach to Bible study that I use from time to time. But you know, in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas shopping season, I hope that you'll remember about that first Christmas. That first Christmas... uh, where Christ was born. And and, you know, people get depressed this time of year. They really do. They get very depressed because of the fact that they they, uh, get the feeling that, um, you know, they don't have a lot of money. Maybe they don't have money to buy a lot of presents and you know, maybe they're not going to have a lot of people around them for Christmas, but it gives us an opportunity to think about that very first Christmas when Jesus was born. Now, of course, we know that was not the beginning 
of the existence of Jesus. We know that Jesus existed all the way back in the beginning of time. He did. He, he existed all the way back in the very beginning of time. He had a role to play in creation. Like God the Father, Jesus never had a beginning. He's just as eternal as God the Father. It was simply the beginning of Jesus coming to earth in a body. It was simply God choosing to live among us so that he could relate to us better and reach us in a way that uh, nothing else would be able to reach us with. You know, I love listening this time of year to the story of the birds by Paul Harvey. If you've never heard that, you owe it to yourself to get on the internet and see if you can find it. Very moving story about this man and his wife. It was Christmas Eve. And uh, she wanted to go to church. He was not a believer or a church-going person, so she went to church. He stayed home. Then all of a sudden, after she left for church, it started snowing real bad. And all of a sudden, these birds were frantically flying around, trying to come in out of the cold. And the man remembered he had a barn that was nice and warm, And he thought to himself, I'll just go outside and try to tell these birds that they could go in the barn, but they wouldn't listen. So then he got to thinking. He said, you know what? If only I could become like one of them, I could actually lead them into the barn where they would be nice and warm and protected from the snowstorm. And that he did. And through that experience, that man began to realize what Christmas was all about. It was all about Jesus Christ coming to this earth. It was God choosing to live with us in a human body. And he wanted to show us the way to eternal life. And that, you see, my friend, is what Christmas is all about. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I can't think of a better time for you to get saved and come to know Christ as your Savior. Some of you might say, well, Warren, you don't understand. I'm a church member. Some of you might say, Warren, I've been baptized. Some of you might think, I teach a Sunday school class. You might even say, I'm a pastor of a church. But you know, at the end of the day, that really doesn't carry a lot of weight with God. God's interested in knowing whether or not you believe him. And if you've never had that time where you prayed and you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, I can't think of a better time than right now to make that decision. I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and if you pray this prayer, 
or a prayer similar to it, guess what? God is going to save you, and he is going to give you eternal life. Dear Jesus, I pray right now that you will come into my heart and save me. Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord, even at my best, I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinner. But God, I thank God that you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose up from the grave so that I can have eternal life. And you're in heaven now preparing a place for me to live with you one day in heaven. Oh God, we thank you so much for this. We thank you and praise you so much for this. And now, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. And now that I'm saved, Lord, I, I pray that you will help me to live like I'm saved and set a time, set aside a time every day to read and study your word, the Bible. For it's all these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer just now, or a prayer similar to it, God has saved you. He has given you eternal life. And I would love for you to contact me. I'll be glad to send you some materials free of charge that will help you grow as a Christian. I will send you information about how you can get involved in a church in your area that preaches the gospel and teaches the Bible. And of course, you can feel free to call this ministry anytime. The best way to communicate with me is by email. I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Or if you want to write to me the old-fashioned, old-school way, you could send me a snail mail. My snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, Greenville, South Carolina. 29605. And by the way, that apartment number is 8510. You do need to put the apartment number on there or I won't get it. So it's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And I would love to hear from you. And especially if you prayed just now and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart as Savior and Lord. Well, I tell you folks, I have thoroughly enjoyed being with you on the program today. When I come into the Sunshine USA radio studio to do a broadcast, it is truly, it is truly the high point of my day. I feel like it's part of the reason God has put me on this earth and keeps me alive and healthy enough to do this broadcast because there's still people that he wants me to reach with the life-saving, life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. So until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.